welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. In Matthew chapter 9 is where we find the text today. Matthew chapter 9, while you're turning there, you may have heard, I've, we've announced this, but tonight's going to be something a little different that we've added to our monthly schedule, if you will. And so I want you to be here tonight. We're going to have a time of prayer. Nothing, no fancy title, just a prayer service. And I haven't done this a long time, but I've done it long enough to know you can't go wrong singing and preaching about Jesus. We've done that. You can't go wrong praying, praying for each other. And Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And... Um, Tonight, we're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to sing a little at the beginning, and then we're going to just pray. And kind of some guided prayer, some different subjects. And um, collectively, as a unified body of Christ, join together and pray for uh, different aspects, different people, different ministries, our country, and um, pray for the lost. And... I told the staff, I told Wednesday night crowd, we may have 20, we may have 200, we may have 2,000, but we're going to do it either way, and I want to encourage you to come, and if you don't want to come, I'm not going to beg you, but it will be different, and hopefully a good different, I know different and a Baptist church, those are not words that you usually put together in the same sentence, but um, we're going to do it, I feel led of God to do it, and I can't imagine that he would be displeased with us having a called out, separated time of prayer. And I could say a lot more, but I think it would be sufficient to say if there's ever been a time where the church of God needs to gather together to pray, we're there. Now, I know right now, you, some of you would think, well, I don't know anything bad going on. Well, that's all right. Just stay under that rock. I don't want to be there. But there's a lot to pray for from individuals. We've got sick friends and family. We have lost friends and family. Our country needs God to manifest his power. Our leaders need God to manifest his power in their life and change their hearts and change their minds to change the way they see us and the country that they're leading. And our, um, our kids need prayer. Our students in schools need prayer. Teachers need prayer. See where I'm going with this? We got a lot to pray about and pray for. And so we're going to come tonight at 6 o'clock, sing a few hymns, and then pray. And uh, allow God to do a work in our life. And he said, we have not because we ask not. And um, we're going to pray and ask God to show us great and mighty things which we know not. That he told Jeremiah. So join us tonight at 6 if you can. No football today. The Pro Bowl is a joke, so we're not watching that. Now, next Sunday night at 6, we're gonna, we're gonna, we'll talk different. But. Everybody's in a good mood. Carolina won. Yep. You demons, just deal with it. Get right with God and come to the other side. 
Everybody found Matthew 9. Now, that's when it starts to get a little off course. I understand. It's all right. Matthew 9, I'm going to read verses 35 through 38 if you want to stand as we honor God's word. I believe it's absolutely perfect. It's um, relevant for today. I'm going to say that again. You were, you were preoccupied. This book is relevant for today. And it'll be relevant 20 years from now as well. Verse 35, Matthew says about Jesus, he went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted, they were distressed, and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Father, thank you for your word. We pray we would not just be hearers, but we would be doers. That as a church, we would be taught today not only the importance of prayer, but the importance of praying for workers, because the harvest of souls truly is white and ready, but the laborers are few. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today I want to preach on this thought, help for the harvest. As usual, I have some alternate titles that you may like more. One is help wanted. The other, for you old folks, bringing in the sheaves. The last four weeks, throughout January, I've been preaching, we've been hearing from God about the importance of prayer in our personal lives, in our corporate lives, and I just want to remind you that prayer should be part of the DNA of this church and every Bible-believing church. In Acts chapter 2, we see the, the New Testament church beginning, and they devoted themselves often to uh, the doctrine, teaching the apostles' doctrine, the Word of God, to fellowship, hanging out, breaking bread, both at a church picnic and the Lord's Supper, I believe, and prayer. We can't go wrong as a church doing those things. It ought to be a part of who we are. And I believe as pastor, as Christian, as worker in this church, I believe God is doing something in our church. I believe he's doing something in the hearts of people in our church. I've been asking, some of you've been asking, and I believe some of us are realizing that he is our help and that we need to be calling on him. This passage today, we kind of turn from the idea of prayer almost into another really important facet of the DNA of every Bible-believing church, and it's the Great Commission. We are told by Jesus in his famous last words that you are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach and teach, disciple them, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and do, do and teach everything I've told you. And in Acts chapter one, he said, I've given you the power to do this. 
through the Holy Spirit. Matthew 9, verses 37 through 38 in our text is considered among theologians and scholars as to, to be one of the greatest missionary passages of the New Testament. We are, as a church, to reach and to teach. We are to, to go and to grow. We are mandated by God to evangelize and to disciple. I'm trying to stay on task, but I believe, just like I, pray, I preached last week, I believe man and some of man's ideas have prevented us from being evangelistic today. I'm not going to belabor that point and go down that road, but I think even in church, we have talked ourselves out of the need to evangelize. And there are reasons and there are opinions that I have. I believe every good, Bible-believing, healthy church, which I believe we are, we struggle in this cycle of evangelism. And it's a, it's a healthy struggle, if that's possible to say. Some churches are very heavily evangelistic, but there's absolutely no discipleship. And sometimes we're very discipleship-oriented, but we're very lax in our evangelism. The Great Commission of Jesus to the church is to do both. We are to go into the highways and the hedges. We are to evangelize. We're to witness. We're to be salt and light. And we're to tell people about Jesus. And then when they come to know him in a personal way, it's still our duty to disciple them, to help them grow in grace and knowledge. And quite honestly, I think our church, because I know the history of our church for a long time, we've done both, but we've not done them both at the same time very well. And that seems to be the case in most North American healthy churches. So when I read this passage and study this passage, I am convicted as a pastor, you should be convicted as a Christian, that we are to be doing both reaching and teaching. We need to go fishing a little more. Not on Sundays. I'm just kidding. In this text, I want us to look at two points. I want us to first look at the ministry of Jesus, and then I want us to look at his mandate to us. In verses 35 and 36, we see the ministry of Jesus. Now, I've, I've studied this and read this passage and how it applies to churches, and it's hard not to separate the two, but notice what Jesus is doing in verse 35. He went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel, and healing every sickness and every disease. The three key points of Jesus' ministry is teaching, preaching, and healing. When we notice these three, we look at the ability. We notice the ability of Jesus. Now, I think it's fair to say he was probably a pretty good preacher. I mean, he would preach a whole day and thousands would stay. And I don't know that they got up and down and walked up and down the balcony for those hours or not. I don't know. But I assume they had to excuse themselves at times. But all day, he was a pretty good preacher. He taught like no other man had ever taught. Even, even the, 
religious leaders who weren't believers said, there's something about this guy. He teaches a little different. He must be from God. He's preaching and he's teaching and he's healing. I want you to notice this. Uh, we, we see healing here and it's not this way all the time. But several of the gospels actually parallel this passage. And notice, you don't see this often. He's healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Can you imagine, this is not part of the message, but can you imagine being there on this particular day? Jesus didn't always heal everybody. He could have healed everybody, but he didn't always heal everybody. On this particular day, Jesus is going through these neighborhoods in Galilee, and it seems that everybody who comes out gets a healing. And he's healing all different types of sicknesses. What I want us to see is the word here, all, does not mean necessarily that he healed everybody in the city. The word all here means that he has the ability to heal all manners of sickness and disease. It speaks to the deity of Jesus, that he was God, and that he has the ability to heal to meet any need we may have. Now, in a Baptist church, it gets a little touchy when we start talking about healing. Y'all feel it? Some of you are like, where's he going next? The second Sunday of every month, we're going to start. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, I, could, I could go down that road about the faith healers. I'm not going to go there. Just, I'll say this, don't believe them. But believe God that he can. Why doesn't God heal? That's a big question today in the Christian church, and it's a, it's a question worth asking. What's clear is he does not heal everyone. Y'all help me out at least. It's, it's clear. We've had loved ones to die with diseases that we prayed for. But that does not mean he can't. So we as Christians have to be of the mindset biblically that our God can heal all manner of sicknesses and diseases. So therefore we ask him in faith to do so. I didn't say bring them up front and hit them in the head or throw some oil on them. I didn't say that. Y'all looking at me like, where's he going? I'm saying we have not because we ask not. And if he is the great physician and he has the ability to heal all manner of sickness and disease, maybe we don't see it sometimes because we don't even ask. Oh, you have little faith. Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That sound familiar? The guy in the Bible is not the only one to say that. Notice not only that he has the ability, and we see his ability to heal, to teach, to preach. We also see the, something important here about the message that he's preaching. Look, he says, and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Remember John the Baptist? Not like you were there, but you remember him. Wild guy. He's preaching, and his message was, repent. 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is coming, is what he preached. And our message today is still this. Repent, the king is coming. Jesus here is preaching about the kingdom. Just for a side note for you theologians and scholars, Matthew is writing to a group of Jews representing Jesus as king. And so he highlights that Jesus is preaching the, the kingdom, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he is preaching the gospel of the kingdom. There's an eschatological truth here that Jesus is preaching uh, the king is here, but the king is coming. And here's our message today. The, the king is here. You can, you can get the help you need. You can be saved, and you need to be saved because the king is coming again. And it's a picture of judgment. When we talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, we as Christians that know we're on our way, we're like, yay, we're going to the king's house. But we're really preaching a, a damnation message that there is a judgment because the king is coming and the king rules all. And that's our message. Yeah, as believers, we're excited to go be with the Lord. But the message that we're preaching is not necessarily, and don't, don't misquote me, the message is a good news message. But it's a good news message because the bad news is the king is coming and you gotta be ready. And if you're not, you will not spend eternity with him and his kingdom. It's a message of judgment to hear the king is coming. And we know the reality is one day when he does come, there'll be a group of us that are celebrating, that are excited to go. But there's going to be another group, and it won't be excitement. It'll be damnation. It'll be judgment. It'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It'll be those knocking and banging and scratching on the door of the ark when they refused when the door was open. Jesus is preaching that kingdom here. But in this ministry, we see his ability, and in his ability and in his ministry, don't miss this is our ministry too. This is the ministry of the church, to preach, teach, and to heal. We're to preach the kingdom. We're to teach people to grow in grace and knowledge. But we're also to point them to the healer, to the great physician. And we're to pray for each other. And we're to pray in faith, God, if it's your will, heal this person. We believe you can, and we're asking you to do it. This should be the ministry of every Bible-believing church is to point them to Jesus, the great physician, the spiritual healer, the physical healer, the one who can help meet every need of your life like no other person can do. In this text there's a transition between verse 35 and verse 36, and don't miss it. Jesus is going. Now notice this. He's in, the, he's in these little suburbs, if you will, and he's healing everybody physically that comes out. But verse 36 has the word but. But when he saw the multitudes. Do you hear the transition? This is the same multitudes who he's healed. He didn't see a new group of people. 
He's healing all manner of sicknesses, and people are coming out. Jesus, will you heal us? Uh, will you heal my brother? Will you heal my sister? We talked about that in Sunday school this morning with Jairus's um, child, and, and Jesus is doing this for everybody. He's meeting all these physical needs, and there's a reason he did this, some of which we know and some of which we don't know. But he then looked at the multitudes in a different way. He looked at the same group of people, many of whom had just received physical healing, and he moved with compassion. You would think, well, obviously he had compassion on them, he healed them. No, this is different. Don't miss this. The same people Jesus had healed physically, now he sees them with compassion. That word compassion means to pity. It's what we would say, um, and, and some of you would say, my heart goes out to them. He had met a physical need, but now he sees them and his heart goes out to them. Why? Because he saw them as sheep, distressed, distraught, and scattered like they had no shepherd. He had met a physical need but now he sees them for their spiritual need and he's moved with compassion. We see his attitude shift. This is gonna sound very Baptist preacher-like, so please hang on. There is no greater need in a person's life than spiritual healing. I always get real sensitive and try to make sure I don't say the wrong thing here. We pray for people here. We've had a prayer list here since Moses. Now would be a good time for the pastor to say, take advantage of it, look at it. We email it out, usually on Thursdays, with the bulletin. Be a good idea to look at it too every once in a while. But there are names on that prayer sheet week after week. Yeah. Lots of names. And this might sound superficial, but I kind of get happy that my name's not on it. And there's a, there's a prayer of gratitude often that arises when I see somebody that I know struggling. And it ain't me. So it drives me to say, thank you, God. Yes, I'm getting old. Yeah, that hurts. Yeah, I went to the doctor last week, and they said I was fat. But at least I'm not on this prayer sheet. Ain't that the best thing ever when you look up your little chart on Atrium? God bless Atrium. And it tells you all your, you didn't used to do that. And the first diagnosis is obesity. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like chronic obesity. Like, chronic and all I, I keep being obese, is that what that means? <laughs> anyway. A lot of people on our prayer sheet that are sick and really need our prayers. But if we're not careful, we can miss a person's greatest need in their life, which is spiritual. I didn't say everybody on the prayer sheet that's sick physically is sick spiritually. I did not say that. Jesus covered some of those bases. 
They used to think if somebody was sick, it was because of sin. And people would come up and say, hey, who sinned? Did he sin or his parents sin? Is that why he's in that condition? And, and Jesus answered, and don't miss this answer, it helps a lot of answers to a lot of questions. He said, no, this, this, this kid was sick so that I might be glorified. That's an answer to sickness, by the way. There used to be a day where we called out people's names to pray for their salvation out loud. I said, you've been, you've been preaching a lot of used to's lately. Well, join the crowd or, I don't know, don't leave, but just hang out. I know something's changed. We got really proud. We got really arrogant. You know, don't call their name out and tell people they're lost. Why? Well, we don't know that they are. Don't go that way. No, if someone's lost and we know it, it's time to pray for them by name to God and say, God, will you save them? I'm getting ahead of the message here, but Jesus' attitude changed when he saw the spiritual need, and our attitudes ought to change when we see a spiritual need. I didn't say stop praying for sick people. I'm saying don't let someone's physical needs outweigh someone's spiritual needs. And I, ha I happen to think if we got more serious about praying for spiritual needs and spiritual lives, we might see people's lives changed a little more. Now keep praying for the sick. Can, can I use y'all's niece as an example? I didn't think about this till now. Right there, you two. The niece, your niece, I can do that. Um, and I mentioned it Wednesday night. Tom and Becky gave uh, a prayer request the other day, and, and uh, it's a 42, 43-year-old with cancer, two types of cancer. And they sent the text, and um, they included, and she's lost. Should we pray for her physically? Absolutely. But they were bold enough to say, she's lost. Pray for her. So Wednesday night, I said, we need to be praying for Tom's niece, and um, she's got a physical need, but she has a spiritual need. And it wouldn't be very good of us for Christians to pray for her physical need and not pray for her spiritual need, because there's no greater need. And I want you, when you see and read this text and think about this text, I want you to see Jesus meeting physical needs and everybody going wild and then him stopping and looking back at the people he had just healed physically and me, being moved with compassion, being moved with pity because he saw their spiritual need. They were now healed physically, but they still needed spiritual healing. We as a church must mimic. We've got to emulate. We need to repeat Jesus' attitude when we see people and see people with compassion. You say, well, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not a soft person like that. I don't know. No, no, we're not talking about, oh, poor, poor kitty. We're talking about moved with pity because you see them lost with no shepherd, scattered, weak. Why? Why do we see the craziness we see in America today? A lot of people scattered, a lot of people lost, a lot of people with no direction because they don't have a shepherd. 
That's what's wrong with America today. It's not Joe Biden. I don't think he controls or does anything. It's lostness. It's sin. It's people with no direction in their life. They don't have any shepherd to follow, so they follow every kind of shepherd. Matter of fact, this is important, Jesus is quoting Ezekiel 34, where Ezekiel is talking about the spiritual condition of Israel because of their messed up shepherds. Oh, that's a whole different preaching right there. There's some people that are following no shepherds, and then there's people that are following the wrong shepherd, and every time they don't like this shepherd, they follow this shepherd, and then they follow this shepherd, and then they're just scattered, and they're just defeated. I don't know who to follow. Well, there's only one good shepherd. There's only one good shepherd that would lay down his life for a sheep. We need to have the attitude of Jesus. Start to see people the way he saw them. Are you serious about that? Are we serious about people's lost condition? I'm going to be very transparent here. You don't have to amen. Please don't. But if I'm honest, sometimes we only get serious about people's spiritual condition when we see they're about to meet the king. I'm not saying that's not right to make sure they're ready to meet the king. But we need to be a little more concerned before they get to that place. And I've got examples in my life. And I could go through them and it would just be stories. And I'm glad I did what I did and said what I said and asked what I asked. Because in every one of them but one, I did their funeral. And I wanted to know. You ready? And um, I asked my grandma that in the emergency room just a few weeks before things got south. I was like, I'm not saying I didn't think she was, but I wanted to make sure. It's all right to laugh at that. I mean, every, every time. Old people act different than they do today. I don't, I don't think I should have done that, Grandma. But anyway... I said, hey, you ready? Are you spiritually ready when the time comes? I had to ask her that. That takes some humility. That takes some getting right with God before you walk in there and say, hey, girl, you ready? This looks bad. You ready? And I did. I had a stepdad. We didn't have the greatest relationships. I have a lot of good stories out of it, but... I didn't know I was going to preach his funeral. Somebody else was supposed to. But just a few days, maybe a week or so before, you good? You ready? And just based on his testimony, he said, I'm good, I'm, good, I'm ready. And he had told another pastor the same thing. While we're here and you're interested, I asked my biological dad, less than 72 hours before he met Jesus or stood before him in judgment. I hadn't seen him in 40 years of my life. Made it a point to go see him. I had two priorities. One, you're ready to meet God. Number two, if I get a chance, answer some questions. 
And what did he do? He rejected twice in his right mind with his ability to talk to me. And I've never, other than two times, that counting one in my life, felt demonic oppression and influence in a room like I did that day. You ready? You ready to meet God? And he turned me off two times in a row within two hours. I'd like to say, well, good for you, preacher. And I did have compassion. And God and God alone and his Holy Spirit was able to give that to me, knowing the other direction I could have taken in my life. That wasn't wasn't Dean. If y'all know Dean, that wasn't Dean. It was was only God. But if I'm very honest, that's the kind of compassion I need today. When people are alive and well and walking around and I'm dealing with them on a daily basis, not waiting for them hours from meeting God. That's how Jesus saw people. In church, you say, well, how do I do that? I'm going to tell you. I don't have a verse for this. But if you don't have compassion for lost people the way Jesus does, it's time to start talking to him. And say, God, you got to break my heart. You got to make me soft. I know that doesn't sound very manly. You got you to dig in my heart and let me help me see people the way you saw people. And I'm going to tell you, I don't have, you know, an exhibit for this. But can you imagine if believers in Central Baptist Church and believers in ABC Baptist Church all around us started to see people the way Jesus saw people and had compassion and pity, what a change it would make in the church, in the community, in the country today? Why do people act like that? They're crazy. No, they need Jesus. They need to be saved. They need to have a, a biblical mindset, a biblical perspective of life, and then they'll quit making these crazy decisions. We need to adopt the attitude of Jesus. Last thing, not only do we see the ministry of Jesus, we need to recognize the mandate of Jesus. What, what do we do? As I said earlier, this is one of the greatest missionary passages in the New Testament. In verse 37 and 38, we see two really important truths. The first, we see that there is an abundance of lost people. Now, you don't, you don't appreciate this the way a pastor of a decent-sized church does, but, um, but I won't go down that road, but sometimes we think there's nobody left to come to church. We got them all. That's a dumb thought for every pastor that's thought that. And you say, I didn't know people thought that pastors, they do, and I'm one of them. Oh, we don't, we've already, we've told everybody in Canapolis about Jesus. We got all we can get. Not true. We haven't. And there's new people moving every day. But what Jesus said here to the disciples, as he sees them with compassion and sees their need for salvation, he sees their lostness, he turns to his disciples and he says, truly the harvest is plenteous. It's plentiful. It is abundant is the word there. Harvest represents the lost. But I don't, don't miss this because I, I think I missed it for years. The harvest is not just Oh, they're out there and somebody needs to tell them about Jesus. They're ready 
That's what a harvest is. The harvest is ready to be picked. Did y'all know that? Jesus tells them the crop is ready to be harvested. This is a fact, he says. In John chapter four, he said, say not that there are four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they're white already to harvest. They're ready to be brought in, bringing in the sheaves. And I know for everybody under 47, you don't know what a sheave is. If I'm honest, I'm not sure I knew what it was until last night when I looked it up. You want to know what a sheave is? You've sung it for all these years. I thought we were bringing in corn. I don't know. A sheave is basically a bundle, something you wrap up, or you wrap a, take some twine and you wrap up some hay or straw or whatever. I think about a hay bale and the things wrapped around. There's a bunch of it. These to wrap it up, bring in the sheaves, the loads. Jesus says there's a plenteous, abundant harvest ready to be picked. We have this resource through the Southern Baptists called Mission Insight. It's a tool of the Baptist State Convention. I love it, but I hate it. For a couple reasons. One, it's right up my numeric alley. And when I start, it's two hours later and I'm still messing with numbers. And it's intriguing. Plus, I'm a skeptic. So then I'm like, are these people lying? Are they telling the truth? I don't know. But just this week, I updated information, some of which up to 2023. I used it and I drew a circle around a two and a half mile radius of Central Baptist Church. Based on the, the resource and based on the responses of people, there are 29,739 people who live within a two and a half mile radius of this church as of 2023. There are 7,319 of them that are 17 and under. Therefore, there are 22,420 18 and older living within two and a half miles of this church. According to the research, the median age of those living two and a half miles around the, this church is 38.6. That'll, that'll wake up a few people there. Out of those numbers, only 22.9% say they have a personal relationship with Jesus. That means 77% do not, to their own admission, have a personal relationship with Jesus. So if my numbers are correct, they're, to their own admission, based on research and stats, 17,263 unbelievers age 18 or older within two and a half miles of this church. Let that resonate a minute. If we think these numbers are close to accurate, 15 to 17,000 potential people, 18 and older, within, for some of us, 
for some of y'all, walking distance of the church. Who aren't ready to meet the king. And we've got a message that the king is coming. According to Jesus, if his words still hold true, I'm going to say some of those 17,000 are white unto harvest. And they're just waiting. They don't know it, but they're waiting on someone to come pick them. Y'all remember Philip and the eunuch? I think this is a good example of maybe what was happening. I think maybe the eunuch was white unto harvest. The eunuch sitting there, you know, he was basically a cab driver for the queen. She's off doing her thing, and he's sitting there reading Isaiah. What do I read today? I'll read Isaiah. That's random. Philip was told by God, hey, go that way. Okay, he goes this way. Y'all see the coincidental circumstances of God? Just chance. And Philip walks up to him, hey, what you reading? I'm reading Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless somebody tells me? And the place he was reading was the place which was a messianic prophecy of Jesus being the Lamb of God to come and take away the sins of the world. And the eunuch says, how can I understand this unless somebody explains it? And Philip says, well, guess what? God sent me here to do that. And the eunuch was saved and was baptized where there was much water by immersion after salvation. <laughs> what, what are the odds? And I know there's this whole conversation about evangelism, whole conversation about witnessing, and I'm scared. I don't know what to say. Boo on that. Don't have time to talk about that. We know what to say about a whole lot of other stuff. I said we. Don't look at me like that, please. I said we. We can name quarterbacks in the Super Bowl and how much we hate Mahomes. I mean, hate some of them. <laughs> a, was that an intentional? <clears throat> Sound like, I like Mahomes. Don't you do that? Well, I don't. I don't even get knocked out in the first quarter. See how we know how to talk about that stuff? Certainly we know how to talk about Jesus. We know how to tell people what he's done and that he's the only way to heaven and he's coming and you got to be ready. The fields are white in the harvest. Jesus said the harvest is abundant. But then in verse 37, the problem of lostness is intensified by the lack of laborers. Think about this, church. Don't just, don't just let this be a Sunday school lesson. Let's think about this practically. Jesus says the harvest is ready, it's abundant, but the laborers are few. The workers are few. That's a problem. Now, I'm, I can't, in all honesty, preach this without inserting my gratitude and my thanks to this church and the laborers. 
I'm serious. I'm dead serious. I wouldn't be half a man or a fourth of a preacher if I didn't think about you and thank you, many of you, hundreds of you who labor in the labor of the Lord for this church. And I promise you, our pastoral staff, we know this, we acknowledge this, and we are grateful for you. So I'm not up here saying, you bunch of lazies, get to work. A lot of you are working hard. And I want you to appreciate the reality that I believe you are laboring in the harvest of the Lord when you serve here in the capacity you serve. I want you to really, really understand that the work that you do, the preparation you do for Sunday school or preschool or Awana is worthwhile and it's recognized and we are grateful for it. And I believe God is in his godly way, grateful that you've answered the call to be a co-laborer, as he says in scripture, with him in bringing in the sheaves. Don't let the devil, don't let your flesh deprive you, lie to you, or convince you that your labor's in vain, because it is not. You hearing me? It's 46, we got some time. It's not in vain. There is some kid, there is some teenager who at the right time, in God's timing, will be ready to be harvested. They're here now. They'll be here a year from now and 10 years from now and 50 if the king hasn't come by then. And there needs to be a worker. There needs to be a laborer in that position. I want there to be a laborer in that position. I am thankful that there was a laborer in that position when this heart was ready to be harvested. I think about it now, I think about it often. What must have transpired the weeks, the months, the years, the days, the hour before I got saved? I don't know if you ever thought about that. Glenda Williams could probably tell me if I asked her some questions. It was her husband who was the laborer that was in the position when this heart came in to be harvested on that Wednesday night when I was just there to hang out. And what if there would have been no worker in that room that night. I don't know if he was begged. I don't know how it worked. I feel like he got saved and he wanted to do something for God. And they said, we got these boys over here in RAs and they're wild and crazy and they stink, but we need somebody to go over there. <laughs> All middle school boys stink. I was one of them. I stunk, I'm sure. Although I did have a wealth of collection of brute from Christmas, but anyway. <laughs> and some Old Spice which will burn the skin off a 12-year-old, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> and I probably had it on, because I like the preacher's daughter. But anyway, that was a different story. <laughs> I think about that. And you a want to work, or you kids can't work, or you youth can't work, or you preschool worker, or you Sunday school worker, and you blank, fill in the blank worker. I, that wasn't blank like a cuss word. You fill in the blank worker. <laughs> 
I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the reality that you've answered God's call to salvation. Then you answered his call to service. And there is a harvest white and ready, but we need some laborers. And if you're doing it, this pastor is grateful for it. And I promise you, there'll be a, there'll be a person, a boy or a girl, a teenager that'll be grateful for you one day. And your labor won't be in vain. Got a lot of need for doers, workers. So there's a problem. What do we do about it, God? I'm glad we asked because he's got a good answer. We not only see the abundance of the lost or the absence of the laborers, we see our appeal to the Lord. So what do we do? Jesus says, hey, since you see this problem, Pray. Y'all heard that lately? Pray. Pray, don't miss this, to the Lord of the harvest. Oh, that's a 30-minute sermon there that he's the Lord of the harvest, but we don't have time for that. He is the Lord of the harvest. He's in control. God is the Lord of the harvest. So we pray to God. Notice what he says pray for. Don't just pray for the lost. He says pray that he will send laborers. Now, I know the directions, and I read mine, so I know what y'all are thinking. Well, I don't want to do it, so I'll just pray he gets somebody else. That's what he said do. I'm just being biblical. But we are to pray. Believers are to pray. It means to plead, to implore. He, it's used often in, in, the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Uh, when the man was brought to Jesus from lepro with leprosy, the, the man fell on his face, and he besought. That's the same word here, pray. He pled with God, please heal me. And Peter and John were arrested, then let go. They went back to the other believers and they asked them to pray. And when they prayed, it said that the, the place was shaken where they assembled and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And then they went out and spoke the word with boldness. There is power in prayer. And Jesus said, hey, you see the problem, church? Start praying. Start praying. Unless I forget, I... I started praying this way a while back for, in specific ways, and, and I didn't realize I was praying biblically, but I think I was. Um, some of you will say, pray for, uh, or put someone on the prayer sheet, uh, pray for so-and-so, they're in Michigan, they're in Ohio, they're in California, wherever, if they're not here. I can't go physically see them. But if we had a private jet, I'd just throw it out there. Anyway. Um, and I, and I started praying this way a long time ago. God, send somebody in their life. And I think that was biblical, and I didn't know it. We're to pray for workers, pray for laborers. And I promise you, if you've got a lost loved one somewhere you can't get to, you're praying somebody comes to them. Somebody comes into that hospital room. Somebody runs into them at Walmart. That would be really God if you got saved in Walmart, but you got it. We pray for God, the Lord of the harvest, send some workers. And when we start praying for workers, guess what? He might ask you to do it. Now, just some of you just turn that up. Well, I'm going to stop that praying. I'm doing that. 
There's a, there's a kind of a theological battle argument sometimes about when people say, you know, if a pastor gets up and says, God needs you. And then there's these real spiritually pious Pharisees that say, God needs no one. He's God. And I don't know what they do with some verses in the Bible where he says, we're co-workers together. We're laborers together with God. First Corinthians 3, 8, 9, if you're taking notes. I understand that God is God and he's sovereign, all powerful, and he can do what he wants to do. And people will say, well, if God, if God don't need you, if he could get rid of you and get another one just like you. Have you ever thought about the logic of that statement? You just said he doesn't need you, so he gets rid of you and gets somebody to replace you? But he doesn't need anybody. I understand God is supreme, he's sovereign, and he's all-powerful. But his word tells us to be co-laborers with him. He wants to use us. And I'm going to go ahead and say he needs us to labor in the vineyard together for the harvest. I read this quote this week. When a man prays for a corn crop, the Lord expects him to say amen with a hoe in his hand. We're to pray. We're to ask God to send workers. I read that and studied this week and I thought, Maybe this is applicable to you. Remember the rich man and Lazarus and the rich man opened up his eyes in hell, being in torment, asking for water just to touch the tip of his tongue. Do you remember his request other than water? Will you please send someone to tell my brothers that they don't come to this awful place? Are we going to pray to the Lord of Harvest to send someone to tell our friends, to tell our family the good news that the King is coming so that they don't come or go to that awful place? It's not too much to pray, but we need to be willing to go if he calls us to. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Certainly this is a passage that many of us have heard. And I pray that maybe we heard it with your help from the Holy Spirit in a way we never have before. That we would understand our duty and our responsibility as a church, as a Christian, to have Jesus-like compassion for the lost. God, no doubt there are some of us in this room who our hearts have been hardened for a variety of reasons. We pray that you would soften our hearts, that we would see people like you see people. And as a church, we would co-labor together and ask you, the Lord of the harvest to send workers. And if it's us, that we would be responsive and accept the task that you've given us. Would you stand as we sing, as we pray? These altars are open.
Before we sing one verse, let me, let me just say this. You're in an attitude of prayer. Maybe you're praying where you are. Some have come to an altar already. There's a lot I could say. There's a lot of invitation material. But let me, let me ask you this. In the quietness, silence, meditation of your heart. And this is a question you're going to hear a lot in the future. Is there someone, is there somebody that you know, that you care about, that you know they're not ready to meet the king? And if you're here and you say, I don't know anybody like that, I'm going to ask you to start getting out mingling with people. But if you do have somebody, maybe today's the day you start praying for them, specifically by name. It's going to be something we do here regularly. We're going to do it tonight. We're going to pray for people. Maybe God's given you somebody. I, I need to be praying for them. And maybe today you start the prayer of God send somebody to tell them if I can't get to them. Or maybe today's the day of the prayer where you're praying, God, soften my heart so that I can see people the way you see people with compassion in need. As we sing. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.